0: Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast with your host, Andrew Keel. This is the podcast where you can get the education you need to invest 100% passively in the highly profitable niche of mobile home parks. Welcome to the Passive Mobile Home Park Investing Podcast. This is your host, Andrew Keel. And today, we have a special guest who's been on the show previously in Mr. Jeff Cook the CEO and CFO of Cook Properties, the largest owner-operator of manufactured housing communities in New York State. Before we dive in, I would like to ask a real quick favor. Would you mind just taking an extra 30 seconds to head over to wherever you listen to this podcast and leave a review? This helps us get more listeners and means the absolute world to me. Thank you so much for leaving that review of the show. All right, let's dive in. Jeff Cook started his career as a project manager for a market research company and only began purchasing multifamily properties in the city of Rochester back in 1997. Jeff purchased his first manufactured housing community in 2008. Since Jeff was last on the show in January of 2021, Cook Properties' portfolio has grown substantially. They now own over 100 communities totaling over 7,000 lots. When he was on the show in episode 36, he had around 2,000 lots and only 26 parks. So we're excited to talk about the scale that that Jeff has taken on and and some of his growing pains he's experienced during that massive jump. So Jeff, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Andrew. I appreciate it. It's good to be back on again. It, It seems like a lot longer than just a couple of years ago, but you know, and time is right, right? Yeah,
0: totally, man. Would you mind just reminding our listeners about your story and, you know, what it was like to start investing into manufactured housing communities back in 2008 of all times?
1: Sure, sure. And just one thing too, I got to correct you on the, um, on the description. So we, we actually have a CFO, uh, Scott Mulcahy, not that he would care, but just, I'm just not, I, I can't spread myself that thin anymore. So which is a little bit of a theme For us, probably, you know, throughout this podcast. So, yes, I started uh, buying parks back in in 2008. I had uh, recently sold all of my apartments um, in the city of Rochester. And we we had gotten up to about 100 units and just felt the time was right to sell. And and we timed it right. We sold right before the the big crash and started uh, moving into more commercial and mobile home parks, uh, manufactured housing communities. Um, Bought the first one, like you mentioned, in 2008. And I quickly fell in love with the with the business model. Whereas my background was in apartments, there was a lot of a lot of touch, a lot of management. And the the first uh, uh, community that I bought was uh, not a lot of touch and not a lot of management. It was primarily um, seniors. It was a newer community built in the '90s. A lot of double wides and 40 storage units. So, like I said, I just really fell in love with it and just started buying buying more and more. Really, just quickly sta- scaled up to the point where we are where we are now. It's been quite a ride. It's been certainly been enjoyable. I love it. I love running the business. Love acquiring properties. Love you know fixing them up and and getting them uh, to a point where we can uh, refinance them and and uh, pull some cash out and buy something else. So
0: that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, two years ago, you know, till now, you've you've added five thousand lots, started a fund. I mean, what don't we know about jumping to that next level of mobile home park, you know, management, ownership, etc.?
1: What don't we know? Oh, geez, I don't know. I like to think I know everything, but I also know that I don't know everything. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's a continual learning process. I'm never, I never cease to be amazed about some of the things that I see, not only in our parks, but with our own employees and with our with our team. You know, I remember when we were scaling and we had. This was probably, oh, I don't know, maybe seven years ago. And, you know, up until that point, my office was at my house. Um, I wanted to hire an assistant to help with like, you know, rent checks and phone calls and what have you. And it was me and my brother at the time. And my wife said, if you're gonna hire an employee, you need to, you need to move out of the house and, and get and find your own space. So I said, okay. So we, we bought a, a little office building down the street, and we had a tenant who was an electrician. And he said, you know, Jeff, the hardest part, and I've heard this heard this after since then, he's like, the hardest part about running a business is the employees. It's difficult. It's uh, difficult to have a good, sound team. And it's just, you know, with personalities and, you know, just everyone's different. You know, we're, we're, we like to think we're, we're all people and we are, um, but at the same time, everyone is unique. Everyone has their own trials and tribulations. And it's difficult to get everyone to do what it is that you want them to do. So after that, we actually we we uh, we moved out of that that small office building uh, very quick, very quickly within six months and moved to a to new office a new office building where I am right now across from the airport. but yeah, it's uh it's definitely it's definitely difficult to scale. I think you know one of the other things that you know I wanted to touch on and that we talked about, Andrew, and I, I'm sure you remember because I mentioned this I think when I saw you at uh, Seco, I w- was a Seco? I think
0: that was the last time. yeah,
1: Seco, yeah. I was still in the process of scaling and wasn't quite there as far as my staff and our team. And we were in Denver, me, you, and, and a couple other guys uh, meeting with some potential investors. And he asked me about what my payroll was, and I don't I don't remember the exact numbers, but I do remember your face. And you're like, your face was like, "Oh my god, you're <laughs> you're woefully understaffed." And I don't think we talked about it, but we certainly exchanged looks. And in my mind, I was like, yeah, "I'll be fine." And we weren't we weren't fine. We were definitely way understaffed, especially on the on the call of the middle manager and, and leadership side of things. And that that quickly that quickly became apparent over the next probably twelve twelve months or so after we were in Denver. So yeah, it's, it's been a ride, but we did end up staffing up and you know got the leadership that we that we needed to to bring on to the uh, into our building.
0: And what did that process look like, Jeff? Like you know, how did you find these people? You know, are you hiring local people that come to the office every day? You know, is it remote? You know, what did that all look like?
1: No, that's a good question. So it was difficult in the sense that, you know, up until again, you know, t- two years ago, a little bit more, you know, I was doing every, more or less everything myself and I was at the, you know, the top of the top of the pyramid and and I still am, but it went from the top of the pyramid all the way down to the onslaught managers. So there wasn't a lot a lot in between so a lot of it was was me giving up control delegating authority letting other people make decisions that i had, i had formerly you know always made made uh, by myself so that that was difficult but at the same time you know like i said andrew we were you know so woefully understaffed that i was very uh, forthcoming about what i needed and i was like come help come help and fortunately we we hired some really really good people most of which are still still with us we did most of that through, uh, through a local executives. You know, we, we, I'm a big, big proponent of being, of being in the office for the most part. So I wanted people that were local. Um, so we hired some people that had some, some commercial real estate experience, but no one had any, any manufactured housing community experience. A lot of them were from the apartment sector. So, yeah, so there was certainly a learning curve, not only on my, on my part, but also on, on their part. And, you know, it took a little while, but it was, um, so it was quite the process.
0: And with, with adding 5,000 lots, I mean, how could you not be understaffed, you know, like to, to, to grow that fast. I think it's just naturally to, you know, natural to just kind of be understaffed and try to, you know, build up to be able to sustain that. So tell us about that big acquisition, you know, that was from our, our previous recording, you know, how did that come about? You put the fun together you know, how was that capital raise? You know, are you coming out with additional funds? You know, where is Cook Properties at today?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so back in, I believe it was maybe spring of 20, spring of 20, we started raising a, a new uh, semi-blind fund, Cook Properties Fund 20. And we ended up raising uh, about $26 million. Um, we purchased $65 million in real estate in, in, in manufacturing housing communities. It was uh, twelve communities across. uh, There's fifteen hundred pads across twelve communities throughout New York State, primarily western New York. Go Bills, by the way, go Bills. (laughs) We did that. We we acquired all the properties. We uh, we finished closing on the last one in the fall of twenty one, and even before we closed, we had a a wonderful opportunity to acquire a local operator's full portfolio, and that portfolio consisted of twenty three hundred pads across 55 parks. So yeah, so we were going crazy there for a little while while we got our feet under ourselves. You know, again, we, we staffed up, you know, I, I hired a CFO, we hired a couple of guys in acquisitions. We hired a, a VP of tax, we hired a controller, we hired a uh, yeah, CEO. I,
0: I just, I mean, let me just interject here. Yeah, sure. <laughs> you have an in-house attorney just to handle your evictions in the state of New York,
1: we do not. We, we do not. We've contemplated that several times, or actually, all the time. We actually <laughs> use. I think we have five different firms right now that we use throughout New York State. We have a couple big ones. One in particular, actually, I just saw him this morning, who fortunately has offices all throughout New York State. But yeah, we're doing. We're doing a lot of evictions for sure.
0: And we we are. We have one community which we talk about all the time over there in Buffalo. Yeah, and you know, since we've bought it. Back in 2020, we've had the same three tenants that have never paid. And the previous owner had problems with these same three tenants. Now it's a 55-lot park, so it's still cash flows well. But it's the yes. same three tenants that have never paid. And it's like we go in front of the judge, and he just keeps extending it. He's like, oh, you know, this family has kids, you know, we're just going to extend it another six months. And it's just like un. Believable. It's just it's frustrating because it's like, OK, well, are you going to take that off of our, our property taxes, Mr. Judge? Right. You know, And and it's just frustrating. So I'm just curious because obviously you have cracked the code somehow and you love, you know, you have a big portfolio in the state of New York. But we are like, holy moly, this is this is uh, some headwinds. So maybe you can just talk about that, like just the New York state struggles of of ownership and evictions and things like that up there.
1: No, it sucks. There's no doubt at all. It's, it's certainly a struggle. And it's one of our, our biggest pain points. But given, you know, where we are, there's not a whole lot we can do. We can do about it as far as instead of just, yeah. you know, kind of play the game. I wrote myself a note, Andrew, I'll send you our contact for out that way. He, he's really good, by the way. You know, we, we work it. you know, our attorneys, they do have to fight for us because depending on the judge in a particular municipality, they may do what you just described, Andrew. They just may just keep kicking that can down the road. Although it's not in writing and no one no one has said this to us, we have a feeling that we're getting a lot of, um, there's a lot of pushback from the county to the judges trying to keep residents in their homes. If they do get evicted, they're likely going to be requesting county services. Yeah. And there's just been such a, a flood of evictions over the past year. You know, don't forget, we couldn't even evict up until hasn't even been a year yet. January 31st of 23 is when we could actually bring a case to court. So it's been, again, it's been a it's been a long process, but we are in a pretty good shape as far as evictions. Our residents came, got attuned to a lot of bad habits as far as paying paying their lot rent um, and their water bills. So a lot of it's a matter of just retraining and unfortunately the judges and just you know New York state in general are not are not being super helpful or cooperative.
0: You know we a couple of times that we we helped the tenants get on like you know uh community, community rental assistance programs and they like paid 6 months rent, 6 months of back rent. So we just we just had to hold their hand to kind of get them signed up and things yep. like that. So we've we've been really hands on with it but yeah, it's been a struggle. And I think that's why a lot of people, you know, maybe those portfolios you were buying, you know, maybe you probably got a good price because people are like trying to leave the state of New York. You know, the other big thing is rent control, right? Like, how do you guys look at rent control? You know, when you look at a property for a long-term hold, you know, to me, that's kind of scary, right? right? Because I want to buy something that I can consistently add value to and, you know, beat inflation ideally. So, how do you guys look at that? And and you know, do you have any tricks to overcoming, you know, three? What is it? Three percent per year in the state of New York? Uh, the, so, the yeah. Tax? So
1: it is, it is certainly um, concerning. So we can do three percent rent increases by right, regardless of, of anything else. We can go an additional three percent as long as we can document the capital expenditures for those for those three percent. We spend a lot of money on our parks. We're always you know trying to improve them or. You know, at least tread water as as far as you know, capex and being up here in the Northeast. We get hammered with with snow and ice and salt, so we're constantly fixing roads and you know broken water lines and sewer lines. So getting to that six percent is not an issue. We've done six percent the past the past two in our second year right now. We've had a little bit of blowback, but you know, we're again we're able to document it and and live within the the law that the um, the state legislator and the governor.
0: Uh, signed back in the summer of uh, t- 2019. That's awesome. And, and you know, we, we, I hit you with a couple cons there, but one pro, you know, I always look at the U-Haul, you know, top growth cities and and top, you know, uh, you know, rent growth cities across the country. They come out with that report every January and Buffalo, the MSA was like the top area for rent growth, like out of the whole country. I'll have to find that, but I was just super surprised. Like the demand for rentals in Buffalo is like the strongest, you know, it's a strong market. It's just, it comes with headwinds, right? For
1: sure. Um, for sure. Yeah. Certainly not without, not without struggles and difficulties, but all of our, we can't get our homes into the parks uh, quick enough. Um, it really comes down to a matter of resources and how quickly we can do the work to get that home ready. Cause as you know, the last thing we want to do is be sitting on a home that's uh, they were paying sure. for plan on. So, um, yeah, it's, it for certainly sure. has its struggles.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about, you know, interest rates rising the last few years. Uh, it's been tougher to put deals together. You know, we've come across a lot of sellers that are just kind of stuck and they, they want 2021 pricing. So how have you guys pivoted and, you know, uh, dealt with that?
1: We're, we've been slow andrew you know we we only bought two properties last year one was a, a small park and then we also bought a small uh, a good-sized storage facility but they were both off market yeah interest rates have still are, are definitely a um have been difficult you know the past couple of years fortunately 90 percent of our debt is off you know fixed low low interest rate long-term debt we did have a couple floaters that we're in the midst of refinancing right now so so all of our debt will be fixed here in the next within the next uh, ninety days or so, which we're, we're very excited about and and happy about. It's certainly a weight a weight off of our shoulders.
0: Did um, you guys have to buy a rate cap on those floaters.
1: We did, we did, <laughs> yeah. And so one of them was actually for the fund. And I remember when we were buying the property and we were putting on that variable debt. You know, I was saying to myself, I don't know, man. I don't think we're going to need we're not going to need a, a rate cap. And, um, you know, the, the bank of course made us get one and I'm, I'm glad that they did because otherwise that would have been, um, it would have been, our rate would have been extremely high. So yeah, floating rate, that is definitely a scary thing, especially in these volatile times. But like I said, within 90 days, we'll, we'll be all fixed. We'll be fixed rate on, on everything. So
0: that's awesome. Yeah. Just de-risk, you know, just
1: de-risk it. Yep. We've yep. never done
0: one of those floaters. And I, I know a lot of the multifamily guys are really big yep. on them and some of them are just getting creamed right now. For um, sure. For sure. So did you have to buy that rate cap upon acquisition, or did you have to buy it when rates started going up?
1: No, i upon acquisition. Okay. Yep. Yep. Because
0: yep. yep. I know that just got more expensive as time went on. I bet.
1: Yep. Yep. It, you know, it's it's tough. You know, you you try to predict like the future, and you and you look back, and you, you know, just over the past, you know, what three years, and you're like, I mean, ten years from now, Andrew, we're going to look back. Something we're going to be like, wait, what do you mean? We, there was COVID. And then rates went up. What I don't even know, three hundred percent over the past two years, and the world shut down for for two, you know, for almost two years. And but the I look, at, I mean, real estate for the most part, as long as you had fixed rate debt, is still coming through okay. So, but yeah, cr- crazy, crazy times.
0: Maybe maybe the world in New York shut down for a few years, but down <laughs> here in Florida, we were still eating out at restaurants and having a good time at the beach.
1: Yeah, that certainly was not the case. Like I said, we could only evict as of twelve months ago.
0: Jeez. I know it's crazy. So crazy.
1: We we, we are, us... t- we are tried and tested here in New York state.
0: That's for sure. Especially how cold it gets up there.
1: That, yeah, a few, true.
0: a few mistakes, you know, in mobile home park investing, uh, that, you know, our listeners could learn from.
1: Um, few mistakes. Well, yeah, I think one of, probably the biggest one is when we just talked about that is, uh, you know, making sure you're staffed, if you're staffed appropriately, if you're going to, um, scale and, you know, before, you know, we got into a situation where we were understaffed, you know, my attitude was always, you know, let's, we'll bring on the properties and then, and then we'll staff up and, you know, it's tough because which, you know, which way are you gonna go is it ch- you're the chicken or the egg first, an ideal situation, you're kind of staffing up as you're growing, but I think we just grew so, we grew so rapidly that it was really impo- impossible almost to, to be at that, the staffing level that we need, we needed. Um, and u- utilizing our current cash flow to pay for those salaries um because we you know we added a million dollars in salaries within you know within six months um oh so it would, it would have taken a significant um you know obviously I, if I could go back I would have done it differently but you know we didn't so that, that that's certainly one one mistake that you know I wish I hadn't made but again it's something that will you know we'll never do it again uh what else you know I think more like degrees of mistakes you know obviously it's not 100% black and white, but, you know, always doing your due, your due diligence, you know, making sure you're peeking under the ground, checking out your utilities, which, of course, we, you know, we, we always have done. It's just, you know, in some maybe in some degree we should have done more, you know, more versus less, you know, scoping your sewer lines, checking your water lines, checking water bills, checking um, uh, bank accounts, you know, bank account statements to make sure that the receivables or the, uh, the pay. you know, what's coming in is what the seller is, says is coming in.
0: That's a big one right there.
1: That's, that's a big one. Uh, a checking pads, one, making sure you can bring you can bring homes back into a community uh, after a home leaves, or if you have vacant lots, what's the you know what's the process? How difficult is it going to be to to get new homes in there? Because we find it's very it's very municipal spe- uh, specific. We might have one community where they're like, yeah, get, just pull a b- building permit and and go ahead and bring the home in. Whereas other ones are just, you know, much more difficult about what they, what they want to uh, see from us.
0: Yeah. And what they allow for sure. In terms of like age of home, that's a big one in the markets that we invest in is they put a limit. They're like, okay, hey, you can only bring in homes that are, you know, 10 years old or newer into this community. And if you don't do your due diligence beforehand and you don't raise enough money to bring in new homes, I mean, you're, you're in trouble. So exactly. Yep. Yep. That's a good one.
1: That's a really um, you know. I think another thing too, and this is not so much about running parks, but but maybe uh, as far as capital raising and acquisition is always overraise at least a little yeah, bit. Have
0: a miscellaneous have a miscellaneous budget. Right? Yeah,
1: I mean it's it's much easier to say, hey, let's let's raise a little bit extra money, and we'll kind of see how things go over the next six months, and we can return it. Yeah, it's going to hurt the IRR a little bit and the, the cash on cash, but I mean you know it. Uh, Andrew, as an investor yourself, who wants to, who wants to have a, have to come up with more cash, you know, later, later on down the road, I, myself, and I know most of our investors would rather be on the conservative side and get maybe overraised and then just get that capital return back again, you know, six to 12 months down the road.
0: Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's interesting. Maybe talk more about like your deal. I mean, you raised a lot of money really fast, you know, like, how did you go about doing that? You know, what type of terms did you have to offer, you know, because that's, that had to be like a huge undertaking, you know, cause I know your background when we spoke in, in Denver was more acquisitions and looking at new deals to like completely pivot and say, Hey, I don't need to worry about acquisitions right now. I need to raise capital, you know, and, and in a big way. So what yep. did that process look like?
1: Yeah. So fund 20, um, like I said, we raised about 26 million. That fund is still, it's closed, but it's still operating, of course we got another five to six years uh left on on the horizon for that one that one we were at a, an 8% pref 80 20 split i was pretty aggressive on that because again we had to raise raise so much capital uh quickly mm-hmm. we haven't raised any lp we haven't raised a whole lot of lp money since then on our our big uh, 2200 pad uh acquisition we actually <laughs> went with a jv a jv partner and there we were on I had to check. I think we were rate a high single digit IRR um, hurdle, which was, you know, it was good at the time. Again, that's when rates were, when we closed on that rates were in the, in the low fours. So, yeah, again, we're, you know, we're trying to do more larger deals. So we're not, we're kind of really looking more towards the institutional capital raising and mm-hmm. not so much on the, on the smaller um, LP side.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Just talking to those like passive investor, you know, limited partners right now that are you know, maybe they've invested in one or two apartment syndications, you know, but they've never done anything in the mobile home community space. You know, what advice would you give them, knowing what you know now? And I mean, all the dynamics that go into a deal, right? The deal structure, the the properties themselves, you know, a blind fund, like asking someone to put money in without knowing the actual real estate that will be bought. You know, what advice would you give them and maybe come from a place of, hey, if you were going to invest, right, if you were going to invest passively, what, what would you want to know?
1: Probably the first thing is a track record, you know, see what, see what their track record is, you know, how have they done in the past, what successes and what failures have they had? And, and you know, I think, and with the failures, Andrew, how have they, how have they responded? How have they handled those? Because, you know, especially in these days right now, these times where, um, interest rates are so are so volatile. You know, a lot of a lot of sponsors are having a lot of uh, difficulties um because some of them have floating rate debt or their debt is expiring and they have to go get new new debt. You know, maybe they need to bring in some more equity from their um from their LPs. Maybe they have to sell. You know, things were really good for 10, 12 years there from from the um the Great Recession until just up until recently. So I think it's important to to understand how they how they react and again how they handle those types of um Situation. You know, I, I don't know if we're going to go back into it, a 10 year run, 10 year stretch where things are, I don't want to say easy, but where we had a lot of, a lot of uh, wind behind us, wind in our sails. So, yeah, so track records, extremely important. Go ahead. I
0: piggyback on that real quick. You know, I was listening to this podcast. It's like a CBRE kind of update podcast this morning. And he said, you know, the biggest problem right now is syndication shops, operators like yourself and, and myself that, you know, they just, they, they're not doing as many deals. So they're not getting acquisition fees. They're not getting those, that, that income to be able to pay staff, right? Pay uh, the internal team. And that, that, you know, for some shops could cause them in either to do bad deals, right? They're like, don't pencil out because rates are now way higher than they were, you know, last year or the year before. And so they kind of force it on some stuff. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that there's some relevance to that in today's market?
1: Yeah, I'm sure it's happening. I don't, I don't have any, um, you know, firsthand knowledge, but you know, again, I think it goes back to um, track record because you don't want someone forcing a, you know, forcing a bad deal just to get those fees. Yeah. You know, we're, we don't live off of our acquisition, acquisition fees or disposition fees. So it's not you know super important to us, but I mean, I don't know on, on your end, Andrew, but I feel like we're looking at more deals than we ever have in the past and we're, we're pulling the trigger on, but so little, I feel like we're looking at, you know, 1% of the deal are the deals that even make sense to get these days.
0: Um, yeah. I mean, we're looking at eight and a half percent interest on, on our, on our recent deal. So if we can't underwrite that, you know, by end of year two, to get that to an 11 cap Exactly, uh, it doesn't work. So, yep. so yeah. Yep. I mean, we're looking at deals, and they're just not working. And, and yeah. I mean, thankfully, I think, at your scale and my scale, we have enough lots to to cover management fees and things like that. We don't need the acquisition fees. Exactly. Uh, thank goodness. And and also mobile home parks. You know, like they're, they're they cash flow very well. You know, if if managed right. So. Yep. yep. Um, you know, thank goodness we're not in some of the other asset classes, but. Um,
1: right. That's, yep. That's good. Yeah, speaking, you know, just of the of the beauty of manufactured housing companies, like I said, I fell in love with, with the asset class about 15 years ago, 2008. We've never had any issues with, you know, overall cash flow. You know, our collections have gone, you know, they go up and down a little bit, you know, especially during uh, COVID to a certain extent. And then right after all the funds got shut off, we had a little bit of a, of a dip. They performed very, very, very well for us over the past 15 years. We love manufactured housing communities. You know, we are actively... Looking for more, it's just, you know, again, like we said, it's tough, tough to find them and tough to get them these days.
0: Tell us like what the, the the perfect park looks like that you guys would, would buy right now. You know, is it value add? What type of work are you doing to these parks that you buy? Are they more stabilized? Are you infilling? You know, what does that look like?
1: We do a little bit of both. I mean, you know, we certainly wouldn't, wouldn't buy, you know, some of the stuff that I bought, like my, you know, first couple parks. Um, We probably wouldn't buy them now because they would be too small. But ideally, we're looking for you know, you know, fifty to hundred pads, uh, you know, fifty or, or more, of course. You know, public utilities we're not we're not scared of we're not scared of septic, but we pretty much have a a no go on um, on well water for the most part. Well, you know, Andrew, anything at the right price, of course, will you know we'll certainly take on. But I, ideally, we want to be in that seventy percent, seventy five percent range as far as occupancy, so we can get bank financing. But there's still some meat on the bone for us to add some value. As far as in being in New York State, we actually will go down to as as little as twenty five pads if it's close to something we already own.
0: Nice, um, nice. And I know you, you know, before we started recording, you said you've kind of expanded your footprint. Now you're actually doing a, a ground up development of a mobile home community down in South Carolina. Would you mind just telling us about that process? And and I mean, this is your first one, so like, what have you learned? You know, yeah. is something you're going to plan on doing more of?
1: It's what it's exciting. That? It's very exciting. We um. So we've done some quasi ground up development in New York State where we've taken some greenfield land that um, has been next to some of our parks. And then we've expanded, expanded the parks, had to go, go through all the, the permitting process and the town board meetings and, you know, what have you to get full uh, municipal approval. So this is just a little step beyond that. And we want we want to go to, um, you know, we're looking in states, you know, South Carolina, Georgia, North Carolina, Tennessee, where there's um, tremendous growth, tremendous job growth tremendous need for for affordable housing so that's how we landed in in south carolina we uh, bought a piece of land a couple of months ago uh just south of greenville um we're gonna put it's a smaller smaller parcel it's only 30 acres but we're gonna we have permits for um, 80 homes to go in there and we should be breaking ground in march we're just we're just finishing up the final uh, contracts with the uh with the um, site contractor
0: nice what headwinds did you did you face in that process and how long you've been working on it
1: that one wasn't too bad. We've been working on that one for about nine months. We've had a couple of other failures where we've gone significantly, really far down the road, and then got shot down at the the final municipal approvals. This one was easier because it was there was no elected officials involved in this one. It was more just kind of administrative uh, through the planning department, and they were also all the way from the first meeting until the, until the last meeting in in uh, the in the community in, Gre- in the Greenville area. They were very favorable and very much approving of of the manufactured housing community concept. Some of the other municipalities weren't so favorable and wel- welcoming to us. You know, you know, there's still there's still big stereotype out there, Andrew. You know, we we tell them what we want to do, and they're like, "Oh no, we don't we don't want trailer parks. We don't want trailer parks." And you know, my first my first comment back to them is, "Yeah, of course, we don't want trailer parks either, and that's not what we're building." And we'll show them really nice pictures of what we're doing and. We show them what, what we already have and how nice our current communities look, but it's really difficult to change old, old, uh, stereotypes. So it's going to happen. It's just going to, I think it's going to take more time and some more, uh, pressing, mm-hmm. pressing the officials like like we're doing right now.
0: Gotcha. And then, you know, how do you finance something like that? Are you using a local bank or do you use more, you know, wall street money, something like that?
1: So for, um, for this development, we close on the land with, um, with cash. And then we found uh, just a, a private money guy who is coming in with us on the equity, someone that we that we've known that has some MH knowledge and experience, uh, actually quite a bit of knowledge and experience. And then financing, same thing was just a private uh, private you know financier who who um, again had some information and had some knowledge about uh, manufactured housing. You know, given this is our first fully greenfield development and the fact that it was outside New York State was a little difficult to get financed mm-hmm. i think once we get this one going it'll be easier for us on the, on the next one next one around it also doesn't help you know that we're it's a new it's a new thing for a lot of banks and the fact that rates are so high you know construction interest rates are you know nine to eleven percent and the fact that we're out of state so a couple of big things that go you know going against us but we were able to uh we were able to pivot and, and get what we needed
0: and how are you gonna bring the homes in? What's the plan there? Are you gonna have tenants buy their own homes and bring it in? Or are you gonna bring the homes? are you doing all brand new homes? how, are you, how do you plan on doing that? Yeah,
1: we're gonna do all brand new homes. um we're we're focused on a sales model. um so we'll we'll bring them in on spec. We'll probably bring in about ten to twelve at a time and then and then sell them. um they're gonna be primarily uh, single wides in that you know hundred thousand dollar range. Of course we'll have a rent you know rental models our plan B. But our first option and first goal is to to sell the homes.
0: Cool. And just at a high level, I mean, what type of, you know, returns on a development deal? You know, do you guys plan on doing more of these? And, you know, is that something that you think is is the future of manufactured housing?
1: I do. I do think it's the future. You know, on this deal right here, we're only looking at around a 2x on our money um, in five years, which is not, again, it's not something that, you know, I'm going to jump up and down about. But we're happy to be moving in the direction that we want and to, and to get it done. But I really like would like to see more of a three x, you know three x on our money, um at least in the mid twos. And I think we'll get there. We'll get there eventually maybe with a little bit a little bit of help on uh, interest rates and also a little bit bigger community. Um, you know, eighty homes is not a, not a huge scale. um but again, it's something that we you know we, we just want we want to get started and get going. so we're we're okay not making a, a you know a ton of money on this one um we're, we're just happy to get it going, so
0: cool, yeah, and then you know uh coming up just the last couple of questions here, how has your fund performed you know the big one that you guys took down and what was it 2021 with the with like the, the the large amount of it was like what four thousand lots something like that
1: yeah it was tw- it was twenty two hundred pads um that one's doing it's doing okay it's not performing up to where um we expected it we expected it to um but it's still you know it's still just a, a couple couple points under expectations. You know, our our biggest hurdle was after after New York State and the federal government shut off the call to COVID money. You know, and then and then we we had to start evicting. We had a, a, a pretty good lapse, a pretty good um, slowdown in collections. We had at some point in different municipalities, it was taking us six months to get in front of the judge to do an eviction. Jeez. Mm. In some of our communities, if a resident gets six months in advance or six months delinquent and there's no resources for them to pay um, their back rent, they're, they're just they're not going to pay. You know, that, along with inflation and interest rates, have caused some significant headwinds for us. We're in a much better spot than we were, you know, nine, 12 months, ago, nine to nine months ago. But it, it was a little difficult time. Again, just, you know, really focusing on on the basics of, you know, occupancy collections in vacancy and making sure that the residents were were paying their rent and now we finally have the courts more or less behind us our other residents see see other see their other um, neighbors getting evicted that's been helping to get people back to saying hey if i want to stay here i gotta i gotta you know i gotta pay the rent i think frank and dave i don't know if they trademarked it but they, they coined the phrase you know no pay no stay and that kind of got forgotten for a year or two during COVID.
0: Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. Jeff, what do you think is the biggest threat to mobile home park investing?
1: You know, I'm a little concerned here, and I think it may be an opportunity for for some of the more experienced operators is a lot of the um syndicators and sponsors that got into got into the game here over the past couple of years that don't have the you know the same experience and track record that me and you do as far as being able to handle some of the, the ups and downs in, in the market. That's a little bit concerning to me and to potential investors. I mean, you know, you and I have been around for you know a decade or more, and you know, being able to handle the the tough times is extremely important to be good stewards of of, uh, our investors' money, and you know, to make make the right decisions.
0: Yeah, I think that you know, there's a narrative there, right? It's like, hey, if they've been burned, you know, by another operator, they may just think that the whole asset class is is trash and it's not sustainable, but yeah, I think it's, it's not a complex business. I was telling someone this just this morning, it's not rocket science, no, but it does take a lot of elbow grease yeah. and follow through. And it's, yeah. uh, it's amazing in that fact, but it, it definitely takes, you got to keep your eye on the ball because, you know, if you don't do your quarterly inspections, you know, you can, you can drive through and, and the community will get messy really quickly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Same thing with collections for sure. Yep. yep. Well, Jeff, dude, thank you so much for coming on the show. You know, really grateful. If any of our listeners would like to get a hold of you, uh, what would be the best way for them to do so?
1: Yeah, they can reach out via email. It's uh, Jeff Cook, J E F F C O O K at Cook Properties.com.
0: Awesome. And if you had one last bit of information, Jeff, for interested passive mobile home park investors before we sign off, what would that be?
1: T- track record. Track record and experience. I think we're heading into some turbulent times, like I said earlier, and the track record and the experience, we'll get get them through.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on the show, Jeff. Thank you. That's it for today, folks. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Again, I want to remind you, please leave the uh, podcast a review. Uh, It'll take you 30 seconds, and it means the absolute world to me. So thank you for taking the time to go and review this episode. Thanks so much. Have a good day. Would you like to see Mobile Home Park value-add projects in progress? If so, follow us on Instagram at Investing for photos and awesome videos from our recent Mobile Home Park acquisitions. Once again, that's at Investing on Instagram. See you there.